You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Stayed on side. The late man Matthews. Great move. What a goal. Beauty. Austin Matthews. Matthews flipped it up for Marner. Mitch Marner centering. Hyman to the net. Scores. He took fast down and his shot trapped is in the corner of the ring. All right, here we go. Episode 50. Not another Leafs podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network at Ken Stapon at B McCarthy 95 at Leafs Pod at Hockey Pod Nets. And a reminder that this podcast is brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. It's playoff time, big stakes, and bigger promotions on DraftKings Sportsbook is putting you courtside with the chance to turn $5 into 200 That's 40 to 1 odds on any basketball game. All you have to do is pick any team that is still in the hunt for the trophy. And if that team wins, you receive $200 in free credits. That's right. Pick any team that is still in contention. Bet $5. If that team wins, you cash $200 in free credits. All it takes to claim those 40 to 1 odds on the basketball team of your choosing is to place a $5 bet on that team to win. Don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook also offers great odds and promotions on baseball, hockey, and so much more all week long. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. It's that simple. What do we want you to do? Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app and use promo code THPN when you sign up to turn $5 into $200 in free credits. Bet on the basketball team of your choice to win their next game And you can claim $200 in free credits. That's promo code THPN only for a limited time at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 years or older in New Jersey, Indiana, and Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Wager is paid out in site credits. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or an Indiana 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Joined by Brendan McCarthy on this Wednesday, May 26th, following the Maple Leafs 4 nothing shellacking of the Montreal Canadiens in Game 4 of the series to grab a stranglehold BMAC on the series against Montreal. Isn't it satisfying? I mean, I think everybody just woke <laughs> How up. How sweet it is. How sweet it is, man. I mean, weren't we historically bad at seizing Game 4s? Not to, you know entirely based on historical outcomes but 
that also feels good to get over the hump. And now you're pushing the Montreal Canadiens to the brink. And quite frankly, Kenny, they look absolutely deflated. Four goals in this series, matching Willie's goal total in this series. This was something that we had highlighted coming in, was Montreal's inability to put the puck in the back of the net. And now it's come to the forefront and is the biggest problem for Dominic Ducharme and Mark Bergevin. They they can't score. Uh, you see Ducharme's changing up the lineup, game in, game out, trying to get something cooking. They just don't have the firepower. And to be quite frank, I've been very impressed by the tight checking game that the Maple Leafs have been able to execute through four games of series. Really, the only hiccup they've had was in the first game where you have the emotional letdown after what happened to Tavares. And then since then, they've just put it into gear and have just ran over Montreal. I think Jack Campbell in particular has been outstanding. I thought to get the shutout in the second leg of the back-to-back where there were some questions whether or not he would be getting the start. I personally thought Campbell was going to get the start regardless. I think that you have to start him, uh, even looking at the regular season and how they like to manage his minutes and try not to give him back-to-back games. Obviously, they choose to start him in the second leg of this one, and he was outstanding. Gets the shutout, and now Toronto with, a, like I said before, a stranglehold 3-1 lead on the series. And it really feels like Montreal has no answers. And it proves to me that Jack Campbell is a capable starter right now to be able to play in a back-to-back situation and actually thrive and not only thrive but you know on the back of a shutout 32 saves last night and granted there are some posts but he also made some key key timely saves where really can he just looked comfortable more comfortable than his 11 game feet in in the regular season I mean he's his rebound control has been much better he's at the top of the crease because there's a few times where you kind of would notice his his size difference when he was kind of crept into the net too much, but he's just making those confident saves, and it's showing. And clearly, the Leafs, with all of their high-powered offense, they'll give you goal support, and they did last night. So I thought it was one of the, the best games of the series for the Leafs thus far. Defensively, they were great, and offensively, you're not getting solely contribution from your top guns. Alex Galchenyuk gets three points last night, two primary assists. The big boys, or not the big boys, the the big vets, Jumbo Joe and Spezza, going circa 2006. I mean, contributions all throughout the lineup. And this is without John Tavares and Nick Foligno too. So remarkable, remarkable game last night. I hadn't even mentioned to this point that Foligno was out as well. I think that makes it all the more impressive. And in large parts, the reason that this team has been able to survive without these two players is a surprising player. And that's been the play of Alex Kerfoot. I believe now he has four assists, one goal through four games in the postseason. He has been outstanding to me. Uh, This was a guy who coming into this series, we thought could potentially be up for a healthy scratch based off some of his performances down the stretch. I saw this comment on Twitter, and I happen to agree with it. Kerfoot has been more effective in this playoff series than Nazem Kadri has been in any playoff series. And, Absolutely. You know, to, in large part, that's because Kadri has been out of the lineup in most of the playoff series that he's ended up participating in. But all of a sudden, now you see what Kerfoot's capable of. He's elevated his game. He's really ste- stepped into his own. I've been so impressed 
with the way he's been able to elevate his play after Tavares and Felino haven't been able to play in the lineup. It's been very impressive for me. Well, for Kerfoot too, I mean, a lot of people kind of, especially in, in my family, my uncles were just kind of berating Kerfoot and Mikheyev in particular and kind of asking me for the answers. And I'm like, well, you take Kerfoot out of lineup and your center depth becomes a whole lot thin and you keep him in the lineup and you realize how valuable he is. I mean, he was playing between Kerfoot, or pardon me, Galchenyuk and Nylander last night. And he was playing center with them with ease. And that's in a top six role, more minutes, more responsibilities. And yes, he has points, but I thought just his overall play has been really solid. I mean, he's drawing penalties. He gets rocked around like no other winger on the Leafs, but he's he's flipped a switch. I think a lot of the Leafs who you wouldn't normally see kind of get fired up or in your face roughing around, they're doing that. In particular, Kerfoot, Matthews, Marner, almost every scrum, there just seems to be a, a switch that, they, that they've turned on where they're just more feisty, more competitive, and they're, they're really letting the Canadians make the mistakes. Yeah, they are. And Montreal, we had highlighted coming into this series, was going to have difficulty matching up with Toronto, even without JT in the lineup. They're, like, we can call it what it is. They are an inferior group compared to what Toronto is. And likely, I think they probably aren't a playoff team if the conferences are in a normal circumstance where the standings would normally shake out. I don't think that they are a playoff team. And it's showcasing now the deficiencies in this group. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Mark Bergevin is going to be on the hot seat. And I think that he's probably going to get gassed, if not this offseason, at the beginning of next season, based off of the way that this team is going to end up shaking out in the division. Because this is not a good hockey team right now. You know, the addition of Josh Anderson in the beginning of the year, everybody, you know, he came out of the gate really hot. He's been fairly invisible to this point in the series. Uh, outside of the play of Carey Price in game one, there haven't been any performances really on Montreal that have been noteworthy for me. They seem to just be getting run out of the building, particularly by the first line of Matthews, Hyman, and Marner, who are just dominating the puck. They're dominating the opportunities every time they're on the ice. And last night, Brendan, it wasn't even just them. It seemed like all the lines were rolling, especially through the first two periods. Montreal just didn't have an answer. Not to mention the fact that all this is going on while the power play hasn't been overly effective in the series. Yet the penalty kill has been extremely effective. I believe they said on the broadcast that they had, didn't haven't given up a power play goal since, you know, in the, the postseason. I suppose I know the game series against Columbus wasn't technically the playoffs. They, I don't believe they've given up a power play goal since the second game against Columbus in postseason play. That's impressive. Very impressive, and it kind of uh, covers or puts a blanket over the, the power play struggles because they've converted a few times, but their their PK, Kenny, as, as you alluded to, it's been mint, flawless. Like, they just seem to shut it down right away, and they, it's been it's been good to watch because when you're not clicking on the power play, you better tighten up defensively and, and kill off what seems to be uh, an abundance of, of penalty kills they're facing. But Montreal can't convert. Well, they, they did have the distinct power play advantage in game three what was it five to one i believe or was that game two regardless yeah. um it, they've the the toronto maple leafs have been getting their opportunities on the power play i wasn't su surprised to see a game where uh, montreal got a few more opportunities than toronto on the power play i think that was bound to happen we know it's an emotional game and the refs try to even things up 
obviously it's like you're going to call it if it's a penalty but it was time for Montreal to have get a couple opportunities it just didn't matter though to be honest like they they were smothering out there and you know what's kind of like scary or not even scary awkward to to, to when you go up and down the Habs lineup you're bringing in a youngster in Cole Caulfield. He's been the only guy, in my opinion. Maybe Josh Anderson in spurts. Gallagher's just had a, a really, really tough series. But if you're relying on this kid to be your scoring spark in, in a playoff situation, like he's had his chances. He's got a lethal shot. He's got speed. And he can he can dazzle through the D. But he's not your he's not your franchise piece yet. You can't you can't put that weight on him. But that is that is the situation is like wow like you you can't be you can't be winning with this guy you you need you need scoring by committee but the Habs lack that but all we're gonna hear Ken is oh well you know even from Habs fans it'll be well obviously you got four guys making mammoth money sixty mil collectively whatever and you you were ultimately the favorite it's like well you're ultimately saying that your team is bad and poorly managed which is what it comes down to it's been a complete crapshoot managerial wise for the Canadians. But so 0 for 13 for the Habs on the power play that so far this series and the Leafs are three for 16. You know, they convert one on the power play last night two obviously the other night, but one for two last night, the 50%. That's still pretty effective. Yeah. Basically all the excuses now that are going to come out from Maple Leafs fans. Uh, it'll be, or from Habs fans rather, it'll be COVID season. It'll be you guys were the favorites. It'll be you know no fans in the stands. It would have been different if we were at the Bell Center with fans. Listen, both teams are dealing with the same situation right now. The Maple Leafs don't have a home ice advantage either outside of the last change. You have to motivate yourself as a group. The difference now is that this group has been fighting for their lives for the last four years, and the expectations are there for Toronto. They've lost in the playoffs to Washington, to Boston, to Boston, and then not made the playoffs last year in the loss to Columbus. They've learned something through each of those series. And what they've learned is how to galvanize as a group and push through adversity. You lose game one, they haven't skipped a beat since. They've been the dominant team in games two, three, and four. Last night, Montreal had a little bit of pushback in the third period, but this is ultimately the team that we've expected to see in the postseason for the last couple of years. And I think it's all the more impressive that they're doing it by committee. Uh, I'm not going to get on Mitch Marner too much because the team's winning, but he hasn't been overly effective on the score sheet, although his line has been effective. And the team is still finding ways to win, as you pointed out earlier, based off the contributions up and down the lineup. It's Spezza, it's Galchenyak, it's Thornton. It's all these players who they bring in in the offseason, you know, trying to bring in veteran leadership, who are now contributing in big moments of the game to give them the 3-1 series lead. I've been so impressed with what I've seen out of this group, and they're going to need to be ready based off their second hand, the opposition who they're likely going to face in the second round. I want pencil in. They've won the series yet. Obviously, still one more game to win. But Winnipeg has looked outstanding against Edmonton. So Toronto's going to need to round into form, uh, understanding what the task is at hand in the second rounds. Now, granted, like I said, get through the last game first. I want to just be looking past Montreal at this point, but it's kind of a natural thing to do, especially watching after what Winnipeg was able to do to Edmonton, which I think was equally as impressive. Well, I want to get to around the lead because we got to, we got to unravel that situation, but the, <laughs> All right. we yeah. got a game six elimination game in Toronto Thursday at 7 PM. I believe we're recording this Wednesday, May 26, but yeah, let's move to around the league and talk about Winnipeg and Edmonton. 
So admittedly, I thought that the Oilers were going to handle Winnipeg based off the regular season results that these two groups had when they faced off against each other. And quite frankly, we highlighted that Mark Shifley has had trouble matched up one-on-one with Connor McDavid um, in the regular season. McDavid was run rickshaw over him, but didn't seem to matter in this series. McDavid and the Oilers get swept for nothing. What are your thoughts, initial thoughts on the Oilers sweep? I'm flabbergasted. Never would have expected a sweep. I think they were like plus 1,700. The Jets were to, to sweep the Oilers or something like that. Like, incredible. Easy Mark Trifley and Blake Wheeler talk. Everyone was like, oh, they're limping in. Like, they're going to. I mean, proof is in the pudding, man. What a complete and utter failure for the Edmonton Oilers. They are going to just go down. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to say go down, but they're going to they're going to adopt that identity where, yeah, you can crush it and do all these razzle-dazzle things and accomplish things in regular season. But they're turning into that bus team in the postseason, man. I mean, just so, so depleted when you take out McDavid in the lineup. And we and we we talked about that ad nauseum, as you like to say, throughout the regular season. But really, like, he was held pointless through the first two games. Okay, you're already in a 2 nothing hole. And obviously, there's the 4-1 collapse. And then they play again the next night and by then you're deflated and kudos to to winnipeg for that remarkable comeback and then to to finish them off in four games i mean who the hell was expecting that in that game three where winnipeg came back i believe mcdavid dry and darnell nurse all played 30 plus minutes in that contest nuts so you're we talk about being a top heavy team and having to ride your horses I know that the game goes into extra extra time, so that's obviously going to pump up the minutes for everybody. But 30-plus minutes when you're in the first leg of a back-to-back, understanding that you're still going to need to roll a team out there or roll out McDavid and Dreisaitl and all these guys the next night, regardless of the result, is a lot of minutes. And ultimately, that's what happens. They went all in trying to win, which, understandably, you go down 3 nothing, you're basically dead in the water. you're not going to be winning four straight games. The confidence is gone. So they put all their chips into the middle of the table, trying to come back and really solidify after Winnipeg's comeback, solidify the victory in game three, maybe sneak out of there with a two, one series edge rather than three, nothing, but they obviously dropped that contest. And then there's a foregone conclusion that Winnipeg was going to win the series and they're able to finish them off the next night. Uh, It was basically exactly well, it was exactly how we'd expect Winnipeg to win the series. Solid goaltending from Connor Heliabuck and their big guns on those top two lines were firing on all cylinders. And Edmonton just didn't have an answer for Paul, for Paul Maurice, who also deserves a lot of credit, by the way, after the way his team performed against the Oilers in the regular season to make the prudent adjustments to get these results. I, I would never would have sniffed a sleep, I th- a sweep rather. I thought that, the Jets likely would win this or the Oilers would win the series in five or six. Uh, three more elimination games tonight, Kenny, all game six, Penn's Islanders, Islanders lead that three, two Panthers, lightning Tampa Bay leads that three, two. And then the late game Vegas and Minnesota Vegas leads that three, two, but we'll, we'll stick with the next leaf who this came out a few days ago, but Nazem Kadri suspended eight games for his, his high hit on, I forget whom, but it was a it was a pretty pretty uh, egregious hit, we'll say. And obviously, as a repeat offender, he knocked out Tommy Wingles in 2018, and then after that in 2019, he knocked out Jake DeBrusque. 
and then he was traded. So you think he'd learned his lesson, but now it's just idiotic. Yeah, Ross and I were talking about this in the last episode of the pod. Uh, and this is partially why I made that comment about Alex Kerfoot being more effective in playoff series than Nazem Kadri has been, to be quite honest, because Kadri isn't able to help his team effectively if he's glued in the press box. And to be honest, it's it's becoming just extremely selfish, to be honest. Yeah. The expectation is, is that he's going to be the C2 on the team. He's going to be able to be a key player, both locking down the opposing opposing offensive talents while still contributing on the score sheet and bringing a little bit of edge. But for whatever reason, as soon as the playoffs hit, emotions run wild and he's unable to control himself and consistently finds himself in a situation and puts his team in a situation where they need to go out and figure out how to fill the hole in the lineup without him. Now, it didn't matter against St. Louis because Colorado was obviously the heavy favorites. They end up going on to sweep that series. But now he's going to be missing significant time against the Vegas Golden Knights, who I'm assuming as well pencil them in to advance in that series. A, a, a valiant effort from the Minnesota Wild to keep that one at 3-2. But I feel like that's kind of, you know, the writing's on the wall that Vegas is the better group. And I would expect them to come out and win the elimination game later this evening to put that one on ice. But yeah, Kadri, I don't, I don't really know what else to say about him. I, I initially felt the trade would like Kyle Dewey thought fleeced in the trade a little bit based off the performance of Tyson Berry. Now, having said that, I still would have done the trade prior to knowing what we would do, what we know now, just seeing the numbers, seeing the players that were being exchanged. I would have done that you know, in a heartbeat, given what the needs were for the Leafs defensively, given what they were getting back in return. And Alex Kerfoot as a younger player with higher end talents who and higher end, I guess, uh, potential is the word that we hate to use. But Kerfoot now has looked outstanding and remains in the lineup for Toronto. Kadri finds himself in a familiar position in the press box. So it is what it is. Like, I think it's pretty clear now that this is exactly why Kyle Dubas shipped him out of town. Yes, and I'm sure Dubas is licking his chops thinking, you know what, Kerfoot's not doing that lunacy crap because it, at some point selfish. it just, yeah, it is. And it's in it's in pivotal points of the series and it's just the worst timing to do so. And it's just, you're, you're going to just, you, it's just going to build you up to, to be even like, not even a good suitor for, for future for future teams if he if he decides to, to go elsewhere, but Anyway, two other uh, matchups we we I was remiss to bring up, but Avalanche knocked off the Blues in a sweep too, which I, I believe I, I thought going in Colorado probably drew the toughest opponent in the St. Louis Blues uh, two two years out from from winning Lord Stanley, and then the other one was Bruins and Capitals, and I was shocked that the Caps were were taken out so early, but I mean the Bruins are the big bad Bruins and even more scarier in, in the postseason, so. I had in my head that was probably going to go a little deeper considering uh, what the Caps can do in the playoffs. But now they have some things to to figure out with, with Ovi now walking into free agency. Yeah, I would expect that uh, it's kind of a foregone conclusion that the Capitals are going to find a way to get that deal done. <laughs> also, we should note that it was a 13-year, I believe it was a $130 million contract or something to the tune of that that Ovi had signed uh, not. So that's basically the last of the uh, mega extensions that we saw in kind of the late two thousands where everybody was just stretching out the years to 
try to uh, get a little bit extra on the cap, and it's worked for them. He's been a really affordable cap hit for the team for the last little while, but I think it's a foregone conclusion that Washington probably figures out a way to get that one done. Uh, a lot of games no T in this series, so it is what it is. You go into the extra fame, frame, it's a, it's a coin flip, basically. But, yeah, I was expecting a little bit more of the Capitals. 4-1 is a pretty – looks pretty egregious on paper, and now it's back to the drawing board. And you see the lack of success they had last year in the bubble and couple that to this year. Although they had a successful regular season where they were one of the most difficult teams to play in uh, which, what's it called, the Mutual Bank East Division. Yes. <laughs> whatever whatever East Division, they were formidable uh, throughout the year. But ultimately, we know what the Bruins are capable of. Maple Leaf fans know oh, better than anyone what the Bruins are capable of in the second season. They have another switch that they can flip. Uh, their top line is effective at both ends of the ice. The addition of Taylor Hall has looked outstanding. A strong decor anchored by Charlie McAvoy, who's been outstanding on both ends of the ice through, through in and throughout the postseason this season. And then you obviously know what Tuka Rask is capable of. Um, one of the better playoff goalies in franchise history for Boston. So, you know, a difficult matchup for Washington, and they find themselves on the outside looking in with some questions uh, moving into this offseason. Should we go to the bar, buddy? Let's move to the bar. You got me sitting at a bar on the inside, waiting for my ride on the outside. She stole my heart in the trailer park, so I jacked the keys to her fucking car and crashed that piece of shit, then stepped Guess away. Guess it was meant to be. All right, granted, it is 9 a.m., so <laughs> I still got to figure out who, who's going to be at the bar for myself. So I'll give you the stage as I uh, get my you-know-what together here. What, who, so this, who was, you got? this was an odd story. So pitcher Zach Plezak for the Cleveland Indians, he got pumped and pulled out of the game. I think it was like, I don't know, five earned runs through three and two-thirds. And afterwards, as he's taking off his uniform, in the dugout he ripped it off to quote aggressively and broke his thumb he broke his thumb taking off his shirt in the dugout just because he was like ah he's pissed obviously because he had a rough outing and now he's out uh, manager terry francona came out and just said exactly that he's like yeah he aggressively ripped off his shirt and now he dislocated his thumb so i think for me it has to be i don't think please act's going to be at the bar but probably manager francona because he's a he's a sneaky sneaky pitcher for the for the for the cleveland baseball team uh i'm actually going to go with and you know oftentimes i go with um members of the toronto raptors but seeing as we're in the off season now i'll transition to the skipper for the toronto blue jays uh charlie montoya he's going to be at the bar based off the lack of starting pitching that this team has had it was uh a need that was circled and addressed and like we like we say all the time it was discussed ad nauseum in this offseason that the Toronto Blue Jays were going to need <laughs> to add some more starting pitching but now it's coming to the forefront and they're giving up a ton of runs they prior to uh yesterday's 6-2 win over the Yankees had lost six straight uh giving up 14 20 23 combined runs in three games to the Rays actually 31 combined runs in four games to the Rays and then prior to that 15 runs in two games to the Red Sox. So they are, although offensively talented and fitting the bill as far as that's concerned, it's the starting pitching that has been the problem all along. It was circled as the biggest need. And Ross Atkins 
and Mark Shapiro are going to be sitting there wondering how they can support their starting manager who's going to be just guzzling Manhattans trying to figure out who he's going to roll out because this team does not have a solidified rotation that's going to be able to compete in the AL East. Meanwhile, I'm sitting here drinking my coffee or or warm Perrier, I guess, because Black Rare <laughs> Jr. has 16 dingers to lead the majors. So that's a pretty cool feat. He, dude, he, he just when he is up at the plate, like it's the same with Tatis Jr. Like be dialed in. He's gonna do something. He's probably gonna go yard too. Like it's just fantastic how like once he shredded the LBs, like man, we know we could hit the ball, but he's just he's got swagger now, man. And he obviously when you lose weight, that builds confidence and it's certainly showing for for Vlad. Listen, you get serious in the off season and you stop riding the coattails of your natural talent, which I think is a transition for these players, especially some of them who are touted as transcendental prospects that have done it at every level coming out. A lot of the time, your natural ability can carry you through those younger levels of play when you're a player like Vladdy Guerrero Jr., where you just have, you know, the lineage and, you know, the genetics and that are going to give you success at that level. But then when you get to the majors, it's a different game because yeah. all these guys are professionals as well. You're facing a better pitching on a night in night out basis. You, you know, the teams are better prepared to understand what your deficiencies are. And he didn't look good last year. This year he came into camp with a changed resume, uh, obviously much, much better shape physically, uh, much more commitments to what his success on the diamond would take off the diamond. And the results have been impressive. I didn't even realize that he was leading the majors. That's outstanding. But he's just come back with a renewed sense of confidence. And the rest of the league better take notice because this guy is going to be likely, I think, if the Jays are smart, they should probably lock him up to a 10 to 12 Tatis-like deal, Acuna-like deal. I know Acuna signed for much less. He signed for like $10 million a year in Atlanta. But they should sign him on, I think it was 10 years, though. They should try to get some of these guys signed long-term right now because it's only going to get more expensive if this guy keeps putting up similar numbers. I feel like we need like a top 10 words used in this podcast. Like top three got to be <laughs> waxed, ad, ad waxed. Nauseam. Well, well documented and yeah, nauseum. Those yeah. are the those are the top three seeds for sure. I got I got like diversify a little bit here. I, yeah. I'm, I'm sure I'm sure you got a couple of them as well. You you like rinsed, uh, rinsed, yeah, um, gassed. I also like saying sniff too. <laughs> Just many ways to say you beat the opposition. Yeah. All right, man. Like big game five on a Thursday evening. Where are you going to be watching? I'll be uh, dialed into my couch all night, buddy. Probably order some some Uber Eats and just just kneel kneel over my couch or not kneel crunch over my couch hunch over my couch whatever I'm gonna I'm not gonna be I'm not gonna be eased until we get to the third and hopefully we're up but uh, let's shut it down in Toronto. Here's a conversation that I want to have with you. So pay attention to this commercial next time you watch the game because they run it a bunch of times during the game. Which fan base gets the best delivery order from Skip the Dishes? Because you know Ooh. the commercial where it's like it, they put on the jersey and then it like it skip the dishes and then the order comes and that shows what they ordered. And they, yeah, they all, yeah, they, yeah, they yeah. Okay. A little different. I think the Jets get like a burger, like somebody gets chicken wings. So we got to decide which fan base ordered the best delivery <laughs> for the game based off what Skip the Dishes is saying. I think uh, the early front runner is uh, Winnipeg because you know that burger looks outstanding. But I, I've got, I'd have to go back and review the tape 
Me too. Uh, make sure that's the correct decision because there's another uh, number of other high seeds. <laughs> yeah, I'll need to watch some film before we before we discuss. <laughs> yeah, keep an eye on it for the when we record later this week, and we'll uh, discuss after that. Thank you for listening to episode 50 of Leafs Pod on the Hockey Podcast Network. Toss us a follow on Twitter at Ken Stapon, at McCarthy 95 at Leafs Pod, at Hockey Pod Nets, and we'll catch you next time.